I invite you to uh, take your copy of God's Word with me once again and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Today we're in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, Luke 14. A number of years ago, uh, a man named F.F. Bruce wrote a book called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Maybe some of you have looked at that book before. Uh, In the book, uh, F.F. Bruce looks at 70 hard or difficult sayings of Jesus. He, He reminds us that some of the sayings of Jesus are hard because they're difficult to understand. In, in other words, they're, they're hard at the level of meaning, interpretation. What is Jesus saying? But, but Bruce also reminds us that many of the sayings of Jesus are difficult, not because it's hard to understand what Jesus is saying. They are difficult because of the sheer challenge of the teaching of our Lord. And, and I think today, as we look at this passage, actually four of the hard sayings that Bruce deals with in his book are in our text today, four out of the 70. And uh, I think what we'll see today is while we need to do a little bit of work to understand the meaning of Jesus' words, that the real challenge is going to come at the level of applying it to our lives. And so all that to say, uh, we, we need God's help. So let's pray and ask for him as, uh, for his help as we begin. Heavenly Father, this is, this is the word of your Son uh, to us. And so we pray by the ministry of the Spirit that we would read and hear and understand and believe and obey all that the Lord Jesus would say to us today. We pray this. For your name's sake. Amen. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's no fine print with Jesus. Um, When I was a college student, I did something that looking back now appears to be pretty foolish. Uh, Well, I wanted to uh, maintain my dental hygiene, but I didn't have dental insurance. This is me trying to justify my actions. Uh, I didn't want to pay for a visit to the dentist. And so I, uh, I told myself, well, I'll do the next best thing and I'll purchase some teeth whitener online. Uh, so I did very little research. I went online, found something that looked legitimate and inexpensive, and I purchased it, and everything went fine. I made the purchase, came in the mail, um, and I thought it was done. But I was wrong. Uh, a few weeks later, I was uh, checking on my bank account online, and I'm looking over my account, and I noticed that $100 has been withdrawn Um, and the money's been withdrawn by this company I purchased the teeth whitener from. So I called them up. I was upset. Wanted to know what was going on, why this money had been taken out of my account, and I said I wanted a refund, and the representative told me, well, when you purchased the teeth whitener, you were automatically enrolled in a membership program, and the initial fee is $100. I said, what are you talking about? I didn't sign up for any kind of membership. I just... I just wanted teeth whitener. And so the representative told me to go online, go on their web, web page, directed me to this obscure document. And sure enough, on this, on this document, at the bottom of the page, in very fine print, was a notification that if you purchase this teeth whitener, you were enrolled in a program, and the initial fee was $100. I think I spent hours on the phone, and I didn't get that $100 back, in case you're wondering. But I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And uh, friends, it's not like that with Jesus. There is is no fine print with Jesus. Um, Through teaching, through illustration, through application, and through repetition, Jesus makes it abundantly clear what is involved with a life of discipleship. He makes it absolutely clear to everyone who listens to him what it means to follow him. And he does it in three different ways in our passage. He he says, first of all, if if, uh, a man does not hate his own father and mother and uh, brothers and sisters, his own spouse, his own children, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He says, if, if a man is not willing to Pick up his cross and follow me. He cannot be my disciple. And if a man will not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. And then he tags on to the end of this a little parable about salt that has lost its saltiness. And he's saying that if a person claims to be my disciple but is not doing these things, he's as useless as salt that has lost its flavor. (laughs) Pretty strong words from the Lord Jesus. And in verse 33, this language of anyone who would come after me, anyone means just that, every person, every man, woman, boy, or girl who would come after the Lord Jesus, who would seek to follow 
him. So this isn't teaching for a special class of Christians. It's not teaching for, uh, for super serious Christians. This is the teaching of Jesus for anyone who would follow after him. Uh, the language of all in verse 33 Uh, Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple means that this is an everything affair. To to renounce is to say goodbye to, and therefore to follow Jesus means to say goodbye to everything I have, to use everything that is his in his service. And another interesting thing to notice by by way of introduction here is the context in which Jesus says these things. In verse 25, Luke clues us into the context. It's when this enormous crowd is following Jesus, Jesus turns around and says these things to them. You can imagine if if Jesus was a, a, a charlatan, could have turned around and said, oh, wow, here's this great crowd. You want to follow me? Great. Let's get you signed up. Oh, by the way, there's a very small entrance fee, but God will bless you if you contribute to my ministry. Uh, Jesus, though, is not a huckster, and he's not trying to fleece the sheep. He is, he is a savior who is actually on the march to Jerusalem to die for sinners. So out of his love for people, as he is speaking to them to, 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 to make a way uh, that he calls the narrow door, as he's going to Jerusalem to make that a, a, an actuality and lay down his life upon the cross, he says to them, anyone who would come after me needs to hear these words. Unless a man hates his own family and his own life, unless a man takes up his cross, unless a man is ready to renounce everything for the sake of following me. He cannot be my disciple. There's no fine print with Jesus. So what I want to do today is I want to consider these so-called hard sayings of Jesus, asking the question, what what is required to, to follow him? No small print. If Jesus is saying, if you will not do these things, You cannot be his disciple. And if you say you are his disciple and you do not do these things as a pattern of life, then no matter what you say, you are not his disciple. That's what Jesus is saying here. Okay, so so, uh, I'm going to break this passage up into four four parts. What What does it mean to follow Jesus? To follow Jesus means you must make him the priority. You must bear the cross. You must count the cost. Do the math of discipleship, as we'll look at. And you must, uh, if you can put it this way, you must keep the flavor. All right, so let's think about the first thing. Make Jesus the priority. Make Jesus the priority of your life. Verse, what what Jesus says in verse 26 cannot be taken to mean that Jesus is telling you, you must despise and detest your family members in order to follow him. 
Jesus is not teaching something here that would stand in contradiction with the rest of the teaching of the Bible. Jesus is not teaching something here that contradicts the fifth commandment, which tells us to honor our father and mother. Actually, a commandment that Jesus upheld and defended uh, in the context of the hypocritical practices of the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus is not contradicting his own teaching here where he tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. More than anyone else, Jesus taught us to love. So what does Jesus mean when he says you must hate your family and your own life to be his disciple? He means, I think, that he must be the priority of your life. You must make him the priority over everything and everyone else. Let me, let, me try to, let me try to show that to you. I think we need to, we need to spend some time thinking about how the, the word hate is sometimes used in Scripture. Um, it's used on a number of occasions to, to refer to priority over another. Um, to hate, we could put it this way, to hate is to give second place to. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 29, verses uh, 30 through 31, you have uh, Jacob the twister, Jacob the cheat, Jacob the liar and deceiver, who is nevertheless one who is in the grip of God's grace, Jacob who had two wives, Rachel and Leah, And the text tells us that uh, Jacob preferred Rachel over Leah. And then the very next verse says, Jacob hated Leah. But of course, that doesn't mean that Jacob despised and detested Leah, because all you need to do is read the, the Genesis narrative to understand that that's not the case. What's being communicated is that he preferred Rachel over Leah, wrongfully for sure. But Rachel received first Priority. Uh, you, you'll see the same usage in Deuteronomy chapter 21. How about the language of Romans chapter 9? Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. I don't think we are meant to understand by that uh, by that, that God despised and detested Esau. After all, read again, read the Genesis narrative and What was, how did God treat Esau? He treated him with kindness. He blessed Esau. He showed Esau favor. Nevertheless, by this language of Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, we are being taught about a distinguishing priority that God exercised. Therefore, the issue is priority. If we will not give Jesus ultimate and absolute priority over All of our relationships, including our own lives, we cannot be his disciples. That's what he's saying. You know, we love love our families, and frankly, we love ourselves. But Jesus says we must love him more. We must be more devoted to him than we are to the deepest relational human ties we have in 
our lives. You see, Jesus is taking some of the strongest bonds, some of the strongest relationships that we have in our lives, and he's saying, unless your devotion to me is greater than your devotion is to those individuals, then you cannot be my disciple. And friends, this means that when it comes to, you know, on the practical level, when it comes to decision-making about what I do for a living, uh, whether I go out with someone, who I spend time with, how I, how I spend my time on the Lord's Day, who I choose to marry, how I use time throughout the week. The issue is not what I want, what will please me, or even my own desires. The issue is not what other people want from me. The issue is what Jesus wants for me. I think when we come to terms with that, it brings in a, a, a wonderful degree of simplicity, doesn't it? Clarity. Because we are being pulled every which way by relationships that we have in our lives. We're being pulled every which way by our own desires, some good, some not good. And Jesus is saying... Here is the one governing principle, the one absolute criteria of my disciples. It's what would Jesus want for me in this situation? Of course, the more you think it through, the more that makes perfect sense. Because if Jesus is who he claims to be, God of God, equal with the Father and the Spirit, and nothing was made apart from him, and if this if this God assumed human flesh and came for us and for our salvation and laid down his life for us to reconcile us to God and redeem us out of sin and death, then to not give him absolute priority is an absolute contradiction of what we say we believe if we are followers of Jesus. Not giving Jesus priority over my my mom and dad or my spouse or my children or my siblings or even myself is utter nonsense if I understand who Jesus is. Unless you have a concern that somehow following this principle of discipleship would make you a useless father or um, mother or husband or wife or brother or sister or so on. Actually, it's just the reverse. When we put Jesus in his rightful place and he becomes the Lord of our, of our thoughts and our desires and our actions, that's actually when we become the most useful um, in this world. And so the first thing here, make your relationship to Jesus the priority. That's the first requirement from our Lord Jesus. The second thing, carry the cross. Uh, verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Uh, Jesus is saying to his disciples that you must be prepared to suffer for the sake of following me even to the point of death. But it also means that we must be ready to die to ourselves and to keep on dying. 
In other words, the call to take up the cross is a call to suffer with Jesus and a call to a life of self-denial. Just think it through again. It makes perfect sense. If Jesus is going to Jerusalem because of my personal rebellion against God, the things the things I think and say and do, the things I desire that are not in line with what God desires. If Jesus went to the cross out of his love for me to die for my sins and take the judgment that my sin deserves, if Jesus went to the cross for that, then to say, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to carry on living for me. Or to say, To say, I'll keep that sin that I know he hates. That sin that I know he died for. That that attitude I know he died for. It's ridiculous when you put it in those terms, isn't it? Because it's a complete contradiction of what Jesus Christ intended to do by going to Calvary's cross for us. And so he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Um, That word bear, it's in the present continuous. So it means if anyone does not take up and keep on taking up. putting, Putting to death every act, every ambition, every habit, every desire, every thought, every Every affection that would cause Jesus' displeasure for which he died. Again, this isn't for super Christians. It's for every Christian. And it's not a call to occasional acts. It's called to everyday Christian discipleship. And so Jesus is telling us what it means to be his disciples in this passage in the negative. You notice that these cannot statements keep coming up. If you, don't, if you don't give your relationship to him, ultimate priority, and if you aren't willing to die for him and to yourself, you cannot be his disciple. Let me, uh, let me just stick with the negative here, and the negatives, and, and say what Jesus is not teaching. First, Jesus, Jesus is not saying, follow me, and I will improve your life as you continue on the general trajectory that you are already on. He's not saying, become my disciple and your life will basically remain the same, but you'll just have this new private personal relationship with me that you can keep compartmentalized from the rest of your life. Jesus is not saying, here, I want to hand you another plate to keep spinning. You've seen those guys at the circus who Keep a bunch of plates spinning in the air at the same time. Jesus is not coming to you and saying, here, I want to keep, I want to give you another plate to keep spinning. So make him the priority. Following following Jesus means he, he comes before your mom and dad. He takes priority over your friends and colleagues and social life. He comes in front of your spouse and children and bear the cross, he says. Following Jesus means being ready to suffer for him and embracing a life of daily self-denial. And so, before I go to the next point, I want to ask you, I wonder, have, have you sincerely said something like this to the Lord Jesus before? Now, Jesus, you, you are Lord. 
You've laid down your life to purchase me out of sin's guilt and bondage. And I want, I want my life, not, not just pieces of my life, not just parts of my life to be surrendered to you. I want all of my life to be laid into your hands. I, I want you to take first priority. I want you to be the absolute criteria of what I think and say and desire and do. I want to take up my cross and follow you. If you, if you haven't said something along those lines to the Lord Jesus, Jesus is saying, not just saying it, but also doing it, you cannot be my disciple. Uh, third, do the math. Do the math. Do the math of discipleship. In verses 28 through 32, uh, there are these two illustrations that tell us to, I think, do the math of discipleship. And I think the, the two stories, the two illustrations are meant to, um, well, prompt us to ask two different questions. On the one hand, I think we're meant to ask ourselves here, have I counted the cost of following Jesus? And then on the other hand, I think we're meant to ask the question, have I counted the cost of not following Jesus? In other words, the cost of discipleship and the cost of non-discipleship. We have two stories here, contractor, and then in the second, these two kings. Yeah, the story of the contractor is, uh, deals with construction. Jesus says, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Uh, my, my grandparents on my mom's side uh, lived in West Virginia, and we would, we would go to see them at least once a year, usually around the time of Thanksgiving. And I, I remember as a very young boy, uh, the route that we took took us along a highway that ran parallel with a river. I'm not sure what river it is. I need to look it up on a map. But along the road, at one point, uh, we, we came across, well, we didn't cross it, but we drove by it, a bridge that uh, started on one side of the river but didn't make it to the other side. Um, it was an older-looking bridge, so it wasn't something that was currently under construction. We saw it each and every year as we went. But here was this bridge that went halfway across the river and just stopped. Now, I don't know the background story, but maybe, maybe it's an illustration of what Jesus is saying here, so, that someone failed to count the cost. Building expenses turned out to be higher than expected, and so construction ceased. And now there's this half-built bridge going to nowhere. Jesus, Jesus is saying to this crowd and to us today, don't make that mistake. Please, don't start following me unless you realize what it's going to cost. Because if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own family and his own life and bear his own cross and renounce everything, he cannot be my disciple and so Jesus is prompting us to ask ourselves, 
Have I, have I truly counted the cost of following him? <clears throat> that he, he comes first before all other relationships, before all other associations, before every other person in my life, before my spouse and friends and children and even um, uh, dating relationships as well. Um, broadening it, it would also mean that he comes before your career, before your possessions, before your hobbies, before your ambitions. Do the math, Jesus is saying. Have you counted the cost and thought it through what discipleship really means for your life? Because if you say you follow Jesus... And you do not do those things. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll come to that parable in a moment. The, the second illustration, it's, it involves warfare, two kings. There's a stronger king and a weaker king. And I think we are meant to see the stronger king as God himself in Christ. And we are being invited to see ourselves in the position of the weaker king. And here the question is not, have I considered the cost of discipleship, but have I considered the cost of non-discipleship? What it will mean if I do not follow Jesus. Verse 31, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Have you calculated the cost of not following Jesus? Many people assume that their relationship or non-relationship to Jesus Christ is of no significance at all. But verses 31 and 32 speak of a strong king who is making an unstoppable advance. Our Lord Jesus is declared to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, there is a fact on the table of history that God has raised this Jesus from the dead and has given him all authority and power on heaven and on earth. And he is the one to whom every man and woman will give an account. And the Lord Jesus promises he's coming again. You see, the illustration encourages us to see ourselves in the position of the weaker king who is one day going to be, if I can put it this way, invaded. And we're being reminded here, though, that this same righteous and just king is also a gracious king who has secured grounds for peace at the shedding of his own blood. So friends, do the math of discipleship. Count the cost of following Jesus. Count the cost of not following Jesus. And we come, to, we come to the last point. Maybe this is kind of a silly way of putting it, but this is the way I'm putting it today. Keep the flavor. Keep the flavor. Verses 33 through 35. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. If we are not disciples of Jesus, or if we say we are disciples of Jesus, but do not do these things, we are of no spiritual use in the kingdom of God. We are uh, as useless as salt that has lost its flavor. What good is salt that has lost its flavor? It's to be thrown away. I think, I think this is some of the most challenging teaching of Jesus. But again, there's no small print with our Jesus. He is honest and upfront with you. And I find that incredibly refreshing. He is telling us that true discipleship means making him the absolute criteria and priority of your every part, not just part of your life, but every part and facet of your life, your friendships, your time, your speech, your emotions, your desires, your job, your ambitions, your future, your money, your hobbies, your romantic life, all of it comes under the lordship of Jesus. And just as salt needs to be salty in order to be useful salt, so a disciple needs to actually be a follower of Jesus in order to be a useful disciple. And that means putting Jesus first. First, carrying your own cross daily. Renouncing, saying goodbye to everything for him. And friends, this text is saying someone who does not put Jesus first, who does not carry or pick up his cross daily, suffering for Jesus' sake, engaging in self-denial, and one who does not hand over everything to Jesus and receive back from him everything we need, that someone is not a disciple. However extreme that sounds, those are, those are Jesus' words. And Unless we do these things, we cannot be his disciples. So I want to do a little pastoral pleading with you today. By the grace of God, make Jesus the priority of your life. Don't think you can play games with Jesus. Uh, take up your cross. And follow him. Realize that he is, he is worthy of the renunciation of all earthly goods for the sake of following him. You know, do the math and keep the flavor. Don't, don't make a mess of discipleship and don't miss out on it either. Don't, don't say you are a follower of Jesus and then end up being like that guy who started to build a tower and only got to the foundation. Jesus is Lord. And as we continue on in the Gospel of Luke, we are going to see that he carried his cross to save us. And so making, make following him the one great priority of your life Take up your cross. 
maybe a diagnostic question to ask ourselves is, when, when was the last time that you denied yourself? I mean, I mean your sinful self, really. When, when was the last time you crucified something that you know Jesus died for? When was the last time you put to death a sin in your life by the strength that the Lord provides, a sin that you know displeases the Savior who laid down his life for you? Maybe that attitude, that that language that flares up, that anger that bursts out, that lust that drives you to all sorts of sinful passion, that, that secret relationship, that hidden pleasure, or whatever it is. Jesus says we must pick up the cross of suffering and self-denial to follow him, and we must do so each and every day. And so, friends, these are, the, these are the four hard sayings of Jesus. And you see, like I said at the beginning, the difficulty is not in the meaning, is it? Jesus is absolutely clear and absolutely upfront with us. The, the real challenge is in the application of these sayings to our daily lives. Did you make him the priority of your life? I... I I mean, I hope, I hope you understand this, that Jesus, Jesus is not interested in a part of you. He, he, he's not interested in one small segment of your life. He, wa- he wants all of you. He, he wants your entire life to be surrendered into his sovereign and gracious hands. And he's, wor- he's worthy of it, isn't, isn't he? This is, this is the Jesus who spoke these words as He was on a direct march to Jerusalem to carry his own cross for us. And he denied himself. Oh, you remember the language of Hebrews. The Lord Jesus denied himself to the point of the shedding of blood. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane. And beyond that, he denied himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, he gave up everything to deliver us and save us from sin's guilt and its power. And now he calls us to say goodbye to everything we have with the promise that he will return to us everything we need in this life to follow after him. So let's hear his Closing words here. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that there is no small print with your teaching. And we thank you that you came to lay down your life for us upon the cross. Lord, we, we confess to you today that we want our lives to be fully and completely surrendered into your hands. But we also confess that even as we do that, we do so imperfectly and with weakness. We are at best stumbling disciples. 
So have mercy upon us, Lord Jesus, and strengthen and equip us to do all that you call us to do, to make you first, to pick up our cross, to renounce ourselves, to give up everything so that we might be useful servants in your kingdom. Help us to do this for your name's sake, we pray. Amen.